Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, happy birthday, church family. It's always fun to get a chance to just look back at what God has been doing through the years, and these last five years have been a lot of just creating new traditions for us as a church family and for our community, and some of you guys can remember the very first time we put on some of those events and those camps, and others of you, in a good way, you probably thought we've been just doing them for 20 years that way because they've been going so great, and so I just encourage you, uh, be reminded, God is using us as this local family of Lexity Church to make uh, Jesus known to both our community and around the world. And so it's a great privilege just to get to be a part of that with you guys. Well, this morning I get a chance to bring uh, the message to you this week. And so what I thought I'd do this morning, I thought I'd bring you into my world a little bit. Uh, My wife Tia and I, we have a five-month-old girl named Tegan. And so we're in that stage where we're trying to kind of start some bedtime and morning routine so that we can hopefully get her to sleep on the schedule we want her to sleep on. Some of you remember those days. And so part of our routines are we're starting to read to her a little bit. At nighttime, it's a lot of Clifford, the big red dog. And then in the mornings, it's a Bible story or two. And so one of the Bibles we have that I like to give my wife Tia a hard time about, because when I saw the Bible, it's called the Sweetest Story Bible. And I laughed because I thought initially like, hmm, There's not many stories in the Bible that I traditionally think of as sweet stories. And so I was like, what are the stories in this sweet Bible? And so the four Old Testament stories are creation, uh, Noah, baby Moses, and Esther. To which I responded to Tia, you realize three of the four of those involve killing a lot of people as the premise for that story. But just to prove they are still sweet stories, I'm gonna read for you this morning the story of sweet, brave Queen Esther, all right? So, beautiful Esther became the queen of Persia. Her husband, the king, made a bad law that would hurt the Jewish people. The king didn't know that Esther was Jewish. Esther's cousin told her, you must go to the king and plead with him. You must help your people. Brave Esther agreed to go to the king. She invited the king to dinner. There she said, your law to hurt the Jewish people will hurt me too because I am a Jew. The king agreed to help the Jews. Esther helped save her people. See, sweet, sweet story of Esther. And now I know for babies and toddlers, that's a great way to probably teach them about the story of Esther. But I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, that's kind of about the depth that we really remember the story of Esther. It's just this story of a really brave woman who spoke up at a specific time to get the king to help save her people. But really, the book of Esther, it's so much deeper than that. And there's so much more to reflect on and meditate on from the story of Esther. In fact, it's one of uh, the really most interesting books that we have in our Bible Throughout history, there's even been arguments of Esther should even be included in our Bible or not, because in it, God is actually never mentioned one time throughout the whole story, which I actually think is a really cool part of Esther, because if you want a story of God just using everyday situations and decisions that people make and showing how he is working behind the scenes, that is what we see in Esther, There's no denying that God is providentially moving throughout the story of Esther. And Esther is this great example of the relationship between God's will and man's will and man's decision and how those two things work together. 
We're gonna see in Esther, there's a lot of human decisions, but at the end of the story, we see God's provision and his protection for his people. So as a sweet story, Bible said, Esther becomes the queen of Persia. But before we talk about Esther, it's really important to understand who the king of Persia is at this time, because who this king is is really essential for the experience of Esther and really the whole setup of this story. So really quick, the king of Persia at this time is a king called King Xerxes. And movies like 300 and video games like Assassin's Creed have kind of brought King Xerxes back to popularity in the modern time. But King Xerxes was really the definition of a spoiled, entitled, whiny kid, okay? Because King Xerxes, his dad was King Darius, and Darius was the one who created the Persian Empire. Here's kind of a map just to give you an idea. Okay, it was the largest empire at the time in history. It was roughly almost the size of the United States. And so Darius is ruling the entire known world at this point. It's from uh, Western India all the way through Israel, down to Egypt, to Eastern Greece. And so he's the king of pretty much the entire known world. And as he's be about to die, he decides to pass off this entire kingdom to his son, Xerxes. So here's Xerxes, he's literally grown up in the palace, never had to work for anything he's ever wanted. His dad was the ruler of the entire known world and he gets handed to him the greatest kingdom history has ever known at this time. You can see why he'd be a little spoiled and entitled. All right, and then just to prove how whiny he was, let me tell you about his throne. Because we actually have historical records from that time just talking about King Xerxes' throne. His throne represented everything that he valued. It was glorious, enormous, beautiful. It was flanked by two Persian lions on each side as well as other images from other regions that were underneath his control. And so this picture of Xerxes seated high and exalted on his throne was purposely this godlike portrait. And he loved his throne so much that when he would go to battle, he would actually make his army carry him to the battlefield on his throne, and then they would sit him down and he would just watch the destruction of his enemies while sitting in his throne the entire time. His army ranged in the millions, and so seldom were they truly ever challenged, and so this throne was this image of power and destruction. If anyone sat on the throne other than Xerxes, they would be put to death. If you even stepped on the carpet that was in front of his throne, you would be put to death. And if anybody walked in front of the throne, even if he wasn't sitting in it, you had to stop and bow down and worship before you moved on. This king, Xerxes, was really viewed as a god, and to defy Xerxes was to defy the god of Persia which is exactly what happens in Esther chapter one as we get introduced to this story. Xerxes' queen refuses one night to, as it says, show off her beauty to all of the men and the princes in his court at a party one night. And so what the king does, he's so mad that she refuses him, he actually kicks her out and removes her as queen so that this idea of her refusal doesn't spread any ideas around the Persian empire. And so now Xerxes is on the hunt for a new queen, which is where chapter two begins. And Xerxes is gonna take all the young women in this capital city of Persia, and he's basically hosting the first season of The Bachelor, okay? He's gonna bring in all the ladies in the city and decide which one he wants to make as his queen. And this is where Esther enters the story. 
So we're gonna look at Esther chapter two. If you wanna follow along on your phone with all the notes and the Bible uh, passages, you can just go to lexcity.info, click message notes. But as we begin chapter two, we're introduced to two main characters. Okay, we get a guy named Mordecai and his cousin named Hadassah, who's also called Esther. And you might ask, like, why does Esther get two names in the Bible? All right, well, Hadassah was her birth name in Hebrew. That was her Hebrew name. And Esther was her Persian name because she was born in Persian captivity and in the capital. And so she goes by Esther. It's kind of like uh, the King Xerxes. History knows Xerxes uh, as that Greek name, Xerxes. But it's also written in Hebrew in the Bible as Ahaz Ueris. And so maybe your uh, translation says his name that way. Point is, all right, enough background on names. Let's get into chapter two, verse five. It says this. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Hayir, son of Shimi, son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Among those taken captive with Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And now, if the Bible says that you're beautiful, like, you're beautiful, all right? And so this is this Esther that sets up the story. And if we skip down to verse 15, Esther now gets put into The Bachelor season one, okay? When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abahel, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Finish the part of the story in verse 17. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any other woman, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins, and so he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. See what I mean? Xerxes literally hosting, all right, Bachelor Persia edition, brings all the women together, and um, Esther stands out above all the rest. She catches his eye, she does the right things, and he decides he's gonna make Esther his new queen. And a lot of times we read chapter two and we think, yes, this is a sweet story. Like, yay, Esther, look at how God is blessing you and you get all this power, such a great story for Esther. But we kind of had that response because we don't really understand the context of what's happening in this story. Because actually what the author is trying to do, he's actually setting up the story so that you would have the opposite response of way to go, sweet Esther. See, here's what you need to know about Esther. Esther and Mordecai are living in Susa, which you might think, so what? Why does that matter? But at this time, the Jews have actually been allowed to return to Jerusalem. They were given permission to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, and God actually commanded all of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. So Mordecai and Esther are actually part of this group of Jews who decide, you know what, we kind of like living in the capital better. Uh, we kind of like the way that the Persians are living. We're just gonna stay here and hang out here instead. And we know Mordecai even has developed a lot of influence within the town of Susa. And so in this moment, you actually have Mordecai and Esther living disobediently by choosing to live in the capital instead of going back to Jerusalem. 
And this is the, even the fact that the author, uh, this is how he introduces them. The author says, we have Jews living in Susa. And I think also the fact that the author takes a minute to say, hey, Esther, Hadassah was her Jewish name, but we call her Esther, and she's gonna go by Esther the rest of the story because I think it's trying to put in your mind this image of this is where Esther's identity is at the moment, right? This is Esther of Persia. But here's the great news of the book of Esther is that God still chooses to use Esther in an awesome way. And I think this sets up the biggest tension that's in the book of Esther and why I think the book of Esther is such a great Old Testament book that we have because it's this depiction of the tension between the, our decisions and the sovereignty and the will of God. Right, and the fact that God is not mentioned in the story, I think makes you find yourself continually asking everything you read, like, well, was that God's plan for it to go that way, or was that just someone's decision, and that's just kind of the way it worked out? And you're asking, like, is Esther a good, godly character person, or is she not? And the beauty is, I think the author leaves the tension in here because both of them are true. God is sovereign over everything. We're gonna see that. But also, we have real decisions to make, and there are real consequences to the decisions we make, and they have impacts on our life and the life of others. And so how can both of those be true? Well, let's look at the example of Esther. All right, so all is good in Persia. At the end of chapter two, Esther's queen. What a great life she gets to have. But then in chapter three, we see that Xerxes' right-hand man named Haman has a grudge against Esther's cousin Mordecai. And we get a little Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego situation here. Esther 3, 5, it says this. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So Haman gets offended that Mordecai won't worship him because he's the second most powerful man in the uh, kingdom. And so he goes to King Xerxes and he's like, hey Xerxes, you've got this group of people that called the Jews in your kingdom and they don't follow the same laws the rest of the Persians do. And even a bigger deal, they're not gonna worship you as God. And this is actually the thing that the Jews constantly get in trouble for anytime they're in captivity because their laws and their ethics are different than the rest of the world and they will never worship any other man or any other God. And so Haman tells Xerxes, let's just get rid of them. They're only gonna cause you trouble. And we see the king actually agrees with this. Esther chapter three, verse 15. It says, dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's providences with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. Well, what Xerxes doesn't know is that his new beloved queen is a Jew. She kept that from him during The Bachelor season one, all right? And so now this has turned into one of those Netflix love shows where it's like two young people have fallen in love, but one doesn't know the other's Jewish, what next? All right, and so don't lie, some of you, if that was a Netflix show, you would watch it. But Mordecai sends a message to Esther to tell her what is going on. In chapter four, verse seven, we'll kind of close it out here. Mordecai told Esther's servant everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. 
He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told, and he told him to instruct her to go to the king's presence and beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Verse nine, Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. And then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all of the king's officials and the people of the royal providences know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, there to be put to death unless the king extends his golden scepter to them and spares their life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Verse 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And then Mordecai tells Esther, probably the most famous phrase that's from this book, the verse that keeps us coming back to study this story over and over again, Mordecai tells Esther this, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And then the rest of the book of Esther talks about Esther's work at saving her people. And the sweet Bible story says, right, she invites the king out for dinner, she says, I am a Jew, and he goes, oh no, let's save the Jewish people, and then he saves them, right? And I'll stick with that summary, all right, for now, because I don't have time to read any more, uh, but I'd encourage you, the rest of this week, go back and read Esther. Chapters five through seven are full of coincidences and decisions and situations woven perfectly into this divine, God, divine deliverance for God's people where you just see evidence of how God works behind the scenes and how he has the ability to use things to bring about the protection of his people. And is that not how oftentimes it feels like God works in our life, right? 99% of the time when God's working in our lives, it honestly just feels like decisions that we make, situations we find ourselves in, and it's not until we get a chance to look back on that that we go, oh, I see how God was working in those moments. When we get to look back, we see the wovenness of how God pulls together the things that we go through for something good. It's kind of like if you've ever seen uh, a woven tapestry. Okay, here's a kind of a picture of what I mean. On the front is this beautiful work of art, this beautiful picture, but if you've ever seen the back, it's a jumbled, crazy mess of string and threads. And we read the story of Esther. When we read it, we see it as this beautiful, image of God's protection and God using Esther's life to bring about salvation. But for Esther and Mordecai, I think this feels a lot more like a chaotic group of random string, right? Esther's thinking like, I'm just trying to live in Susa. And now I'm all of a sudden the queen because I won this mandatory beauty pageant. And now my people are in danger and I'm supposed to do something just because I now am the queen. And the last queen got kicked out because she made the king mad and now I have to go do something where I will die if the king is in a bad mood. We can see so much of 
this idea of like, she's just caught up in this situation. But what I love, what Mordecai says to Esther at the end of chapter four, again, he says to her, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Mordecai says, I know that God's gonna deliver his people. He's good for it. That's his promise to us. God is always creating the beautiful picture. The question, Esther, is are you gonna be a part of what he's doing? See, it's the famous understanding, it's the encouragement, I think, that I wanna remind us of today, that God is all-powerful, right? And the story of Esther and the story of the entire Bible is reminding us that God is making the beautiful picture. The question is, are we gonna be a part of it? Right, he uses all of these wild threads and winding threads and even disobedient threads at times and he pulls them into his beautiful will and plan. And so we trust God for the tapestry, but what are we supposed to do when we feel like we're just sitting in a pile of random threads all around us? It's the famous verse from the book of Esther. Mordecai tells Esther, God is working and who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? And that's the great encouragement to me and I think the reminder of the story of Esther. Who knows that you have put, been put right where you are for such a time as this? Do you view your life that way? You are in the job you're in for such a time as this. You are in that class for such a time as this. You are in this season of life for such a time as this. You're friends with that person for such a time as this, don't miss your opportunity to be used by God in your situation. And I'm not saying that you have to form your entire theology around this phrase, okay? I'm not saying that like if you're in a really, really tough situation right now that that's exactly what God wanted for you and he has orchestrated everything so that you would find yourself in this position right now. I'm not saying that your decisions don't matter at all, it's all gonna work out, okay? In fact, I want you to hear the opposite. I want you to hear that your decisions greatly matter. They have a huge impact on how you experience God and the others around you experience God. I'm not saying that disobedience isn't matter at all and God's gonna work all things out for good, so just do what you wanna do. I'm not trying to form a theology by this phrase, I'm trying to encourage you of a truth that in the chaos of our decisions, good and bad, and the situations that we find ourselves in, we are constantly provided with opportunities to say, in this moment, regardless of how I got here, how can God use me right now for such a time as this to be used by him? Because it's true, we experience the randomness of life, we experience the decisions of other people, we make our own decisions, Yet in God's all-powerfulness, he's still able to create a beautiful tapestry using all those things, and he constantly gives us opportunities to say, right where you are right now, how can you be used for such a time as what I want to do with your life? And so I think two applications for us today from the story of Esther. What, do we, what are we supposed to do when we find ourselves trying to figure out what to do in a situation we find ourselves in? Okay, number one is this is make the right decision now. Okay, just make the right decision now. No matter what situation you're in, no matter how you got there, you have the decision to make the right choice now. See, God still gives Esther this opportunity to be a part of this amazing story, to be someone who we have recorded in history for what she decides to do. 
This is Esther who has chosen to live in the capital instead of go back and be obedient and go help rebuild Jerusalem, like Ezra and Nehemiah and those others that we read about. And we might think like, if we understand that, like, wow, Esther literally chose the world over God. She obviously does not really love God that much. Or we would maybe even think God would be like, Esther, like I gave you an opportunity. I asked you to go and you decided to stay, so you're on your own. And sometimes we think that's how God would act. Like he's just gonna focus on the people that did what he said and those that are back in Jerusalem and he's gonna leave the rest. But we see that God doesn't do that. God never gives up on Esther. He continues to give her opportunity to say, hey, I've got a plan for you, Esther. I will use you, Esther, if you'll make the right decision now. And I think that's the encouragement for us. No matter your past, no matter your current situation, no matter how long you've been following God, you have the chance to make the right decision now. Moving forward, what do you wanna do right now to make the right decision? And that looks different for every one of us. Maybe for you, the right decision now is just starting to learn, I'm gonna just pray and talk to God before I make decisions. That's gonna be me making the right decision now. Maybe for you, the right decision now is you need to leave that job because you have been feeling this call to go do something else and you just keep having that on your heart. Maybe for you, the right decision now is you need to stay in that job because it provides a stability for what you need in this season of life. Maybe the right decision now is you just need to make church a priority and not something that you just attend periodically. Maybe the right decision now is you need to grow and step up your evangelism and how often you're willing to bring up your faith in conversations with others. Whatever the situation you find yourself in right now, however you got there, you get the opportunity to make the right decision now. God has not given up on you and I think at times we're even guilty of glamorizing this palace life that Esther's living, right? We in our mind, we think she's the queen, she's living in the palace, life is great and easy. Here's what also is true. Esther is living in the palace of one of the darkest, most evil uh, kingdoms at this time. Okay, Xerxes is never viewed in history as a good guy. And so I think Esther is surrounded by a lot of darkness. She is living in the heart of this dark, dark empire. And yet it's even in that moment, God says, Esther, I still see you and I've got a purpose and I've got a plan if you will do what's right now. See, God's not looking for perfect people. He's just looking for obedient people. So start today, make the right decision now. Begin walking in the direction that God has for you in the situation that you're in. So that's the first encouragement. I think the second is this, is steward your position. Okay, steward your position. I go back to the words of Mordecai. Who knows that you've been put in your position for such a time as this? How can you steward this position that God has put you in right now? How can you use your influence to point people to him? How can you use your talents to point people to him? How can you use your experience or your personality or your resources or even just your schedule to point people to him? You are part of God's tapestry that he's creating and you might feel like, why am I here? What am I supposed to do in this situation? I feel like a random piece of thread surrounded by other random piece of threads and I think God is saying, no, you are exactly where you need to be right in this moment for me to do something in your life. It's like you're putting your thread here so I can connect this one to you and connect this one to you and then connect this one to that and I am working if you will just steward the position that I have for you right now. 
You've been put in your position for such a time as this. And so let that be the encouragement in the challenge. God, how do you want me to steward the position I'm in? Show me the people that you want me to have influence on right now. Show me the advantages of my schedule that I have right now. Show me the unique opportunities that are available because of where I am right now. I try and speak this even just over my own life and pray this over myself. Like when I do youth ministry, uh, reality is due to life, I seldom get to have a kid from sixth grade all the way to senior graduated year in our ministry. And so every year it's me trying to pray and connect myself of God, you have given me this group of students for this year. What do you want me to do with them? What do you want me to steward in them for this year? This might be the only year that I get to have some influence on them. And even the students that I get to have for multiple years. In the life of a teenager, every year is so different. And so it's the same prayer. It's, God, how you have given me this eighth grader. What do you want me to do in the life of this eighth grader right now? You've given me this 10th grader for such a time as this. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to use my influence in this situation? I think for me, it helps me have the mindset. It helps me be connected to what is God doing in me and what is God doing in the people that I get to have an impact on. And so I can think back. I've had a time in my life where I had no kids and there were great freedoms of schedule and um, opportunities that I was able to do. And now I'm in a season of having a five-month-old and there's different opportunities and different things that now, different relationships I get to have. And so just being conscious of God, you have me in this season of life for such a time as this. You have me here for such a time as this. How can I steward where you have me? Again, I don't know what that looks like for you. This is something that's between you and God. I can just encourage you that God is always at work and in his divine power, you are in such a position for such a time as this. So let that be the prayer of your mornings. God, help me today. How do you want me to steward where you have me, the position that I'm in, the season of life that I'm in. And what I love about the story of Esther is that God is always working. Deliverance is always gonna come. The question Mordecai asked Esther is, are you gonna be a part of it? Every day you have the opportunity to make the right decision now and to steward the situation you're in for who knows, maybe such a time as this. Let me pray for us. God. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, thank you for the example of Esther. And we always sometimes want black and white, who is right, who is wrong, but it's not always as simple as that. And yet in the chaos, in the randomness of our perspective, you are always in control. And we'll never fully understand the relationship between our decisions and your sovereignty, but we can trust that you are good enough and powerful enough to create the tapestry. And so this week, help us see the opportunities to make the right decision and to steward the position we're in. And like Esther, may we be known not as perfect people, but obedient people that realize we have been put where we are for such a time as this. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we just pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.